Welcome to Standout, where you're going to hear from some exceptional entrepreneurs. You'll learn what it took to get them where they are and what you can do to make your mark. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan, with CherylTanMedia.com. You can find the show notes at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. Want to connect on Twitter? You can find me there at Cheryl Tan. First, let me say thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to, downloading, and supporting the show. I'd love your thoughts on the show, which I'm trying to make better and better every week. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Thank you in advance. On to today's guest, who is a dynamo and shares so many great business lessons with us all. What you will learn from April Spring is her focus on relationships. She is the founder and designer at Foxers, a boutique apparel brand. Together with her husband, Alex, they have grown Foxers to a million-dollar business in about 10 years. Were those years easy? Not at all. And April talks about the ups, the downs, and the exciting way forward for Foxers. You will also hear how April realized how important social media is to the growth of her brand. She talks about how being early adopters in Pinterest has been a wise investment in time and money. I have known April for years when I first brought her in as an expert on a lifestyle TV show I was hosting, and we have kept in touch ever since. See? Relationships. Here's her interview. Hello and welcome to Standout April Spring. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so glad to hear from you. I love doing this. Oh, thank you. April, you are the founder and designer at Foxers, which is a boutique apparel brand. And together, you and your husband have grown it to a seven-figure business in about 10 years. So congratulations. I know that our audience wants to hear how all of this happened and certainly how it hasn't been easy and how you've overcome those challenges. So talk about how you got your start, how you and your husband decided to start uh, Foxers and maybe you should start and talk about what Foxers is. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, they can find this also on foxers.com uh, about us. My husband did a really nice job writing it up. That's Alex. Uh, so we were living abroad in Malaysia for um, a, a Fortune 100 company. And we were sitting there and, and the girls kept fidgeting with the, un, with the jeans and the thong sticking out. And uh, I said to my husband, oh, gosh, we need it. We need a solution for that because no girl wants her thong sticking out. And Alex said, <laughs> you know, he's sitting there. He's like, yes, they do. That's the style now, honey. And I said, no, absolutely 100% not the style. And he said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we had other expat friends and it was very common to go, you know, Saturday morning sitting out having coffee in one of the six coffee shops that lined up. And so here comes the Australian friends who are now our distributors in Australia and it's so fun to say that. And uh, they said, "Come, you know, sit down." I said, "I have. I just had an idea." And Alex said, "See the girls over there with their thongs, you know, stick out, and they're trying to tuck them in." And Ben, the the guy, says, "Oh, it, it's that's the style." And the wife, BJ, goes, "Absolutely not, one hundred percent no." And I said, "That's what I said." And by the end of the day, we had about six different couples. And every girl, hands down, said it was not a style. And every guy, hands down, said it was the style. Interesting. So immediately, I literally that day went and bought some men's boxers, a pack of three, and then some thongs. And 
um, I had a seamstress that worked for me. And so I asked her and she took them to her factory and she came back the next day with the, the, uh, she almost died when I cut the top off the men's boxers because that was waste. You know, she was like, Oh my, they're brand new. They they're new. And I said, Oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm making something. So she comes back with the top on and it had like a ruffle and she said, I had to hide these because they're not proper. <laughs> and I said, okay. So that's, that's how it started. And, the, you know, that was the idea. And then we can go on to how we decided to actually pursue it. Yeah. Well, first, did you have a design background? Like you saw that in the coffee shop that you were at, but... Mm-hmm. How did you take that idea, which I would have seen that too, but I would have thought nothing of it. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> you're creating a solution hours later. But so what is your design background? How did you know what to do once you had that idea? I, I think uh, it's terrible. I have very little design background, <laughs> um, but I've wanted to design since I was a child. And there's a story on my blog, and I don't know if it's on our site now, but it was on my April Spring blog that when I was seven, I, my mom took me to a boutique and it was several miles from our house. And I had been going to this boutique for over a year and I used to rearrange the clothes and style the store. And I had a pair of pants on layaway, (laughs) which were $30 back then. And she, they said, I walked in with my mom and they said, Oh, uh, there's April. Oh, how are you? She goes, Oh, I'm, I'm certain you don't know my daughter. They're like, no, she comes here all the time. She works with us and she has a layaway. (laughs) And so anyway, that, that was part of, you know, knowing that I was, I believe innate or born with it, Mm -hmm. a desire to do that, you know, because my, all of my aunts and my mother's sewed for us when we were children, but they didn't, they weren't into fashion. You know what I mean? They they weren't like that. I have this, um, more of a scientist like, uh, solution problem. Uh, thing for for fashion and then I started dreaming in color clothing in my teens and I would draw them the next day but being one of five children I couldn't go to fashion school because I checked it and it was 50,000 a year so (laughs) so I think it's just like you're born with it sometimes Mm -hmm. and I truly believe that in my case because and it took so many years to actually get to be able to do this really in into my 40s. So then you and Alex took this idea. You you went to the seamstress. You had this uh, idea uh-huh. for um, thong underwear with a boxer band. Uh-huh. And, and shorts. And boy, boy shorts. shorts. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the first one. And then that was the first one. how did you take it to a business? How did you grow that idea? Um, well, it started with me just making about 300 pieces. And it's oh. funny, when, when I went to trademark, they said, this is patentable. But thank goodness I didn't try to sell them at the beginning because I think that's part of the trademark, the patent rules is you're really not supposed to sell it at first. And then when you file, you have to sell it. It's like all these crazy rules with patent and trademark. Um, we had a comeback from the, the uh, Malaysia and we were living in the States and we just arrived and I made the underwear. Um, once we got back, I actually had the first um, 300 pair, let's say. And I laid them out on the guest bed and we have no children. I think it's just Alex and I, and we were renting this million dollar condo for six months, like just came in and said, we'll take this condo. But it was just, we got a super deal just to be there. And we, so they said the deal was we get to rent this great place in Las Solas in Fort Lauderdale. If they get to show the condo the whole time we're there. 
So we're like, fine. So what happened was they were laying on the bed and everyone wanted to buy them. <laughs> and I'd say, just give them a pair. <laughs> so all the realtors were giving them to the people. And then they started saying, these are um, incredible. You need to like sell these. And I was like, oh, it's just an idea we had. And at that point it was still like, I'm just playing. So finally I took them to get the trade to actually choose a name. Cause at that point they didn't even have a working title. They had a working title, which was box hers. And so I went and, um, when I did the trademark, that's when she said, we, she said, that's already taken. You have to go with another name. So we came up with Foxers that actually came to me in, in the dream too. And so that was where we said, okay, let's get serious and, and sell these, but we need to trademark it first and incorporate it first. So we spent the beginning of 2007, you know, incorporating trademarking and building a website. And we really launched the website in April 07. And nothing really happens when you launch a website, especially back in 07. This is pre-crazy e-commerce, right? Right. So it was hilarious. I took like probably five or six months to get the first sale on our website besides my family. (laughs) (laughs) So we we made a plan that we made a marketing plan to go to the um, trade shows and to get reps regionally in the United States and Canada. So that's what we did. And our first rep was in Chicago. And that was my husband. He pushed me. He took me to the Chicago Mart because we were there on business for something else. He took me there and he's like, you're going in there and you're finding a rep. And (laughs) you did it. (laughs) Yeah, I did it. I'll never forget her. She's still a dear friend, Helen Newman. And she's out of Chicago and she sold out of everything. We had at this point now had 1300 pieces after it was already trademarked and all this stuff. And patents filed, and uh, we we sold. She sold them out. She called me, and Alex and I were in the car, and she says we had our first trade show, and we don't think we did that good. <laughs> and it was like fifteen hundred dollars or something. But they're only at the time they were like twenty dollar pair of underwear. That's a lot so, of underwear. <laughs> yeah. So we were, we were like, oh, one hundred and fifty dollars. That's okay. It was still cool that you did it. And she goes, no, one thousand five hundred dollars. And we're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so she had us in 75 boutiques in three months. Wow. What yep. was it as far as the reaction? I guess clearly they wanted it in their boutiques, but why did they want it? Why did they gobble it up so readily? What was it about uh, your product? It was at the time we had these, they were these colorful boy shorts. We had just a three pairs of lace boxers, and we had the thongs. Well, thongs were saturating the market, which I didn't know any of this. I was just making a thong because that's what I wanted. And I made the lace boxer because a friend of mine who, um, Vita, wanted, she goes, you have to make lace. And I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) So I make the lace for her. I make the thong for me. And I make the boy short because that's the style that I envisioned it. And um, what they said were there were no colorful cotton boy shorts in the market at the time. So they were, but they didn't fit well or, and they, they weren't cute or anything. So, um, they just gobbled it up because they needed the boy short. Um, and they didn't even hardly buy the thong or the lace. The lace was a little bit. And Helen also represented some jean companies. The jean vendor ended up being our rep for California. So, that was our first California rep was the actual gene vendor from the Chicago showroom. 
Um, and it was because there were no other color underwear. And we even had wounded warriors contact us or actually through a PR firm and say, there's no, the wounded warriors only get white underwear from Haynes. Can we get some foxers for the wounded warriors? And I was, <laughs> we fortunately had enough in stock. And I was like, absolutely. I'm right. You know, what do you need? They needed 600 pair and only larges. That was a, that was tough because it wipes out your large and then you have every other size, but those kind of things you just say, this is so great. I want to do it. So that was our first charity event. I love how you've grown. And honestly, the growth has not been in a straight line or a straight line up. I know because in 2007, you launched and things are going well. And then the recession hit. And how did that affect you and your business? And plus you're moving all over the world. You're moving from place to place to place. And so that kind of ties into that as well. Exactly. So we, we, um, when the recession hit, I was one of those that was like oblivious to it because we were going way up because we had been on the big idea. We were on the today show. We just couldn't do anything wrong. You know, we had celebrities backing us, you know, it was like weird. You know, I didn't have to sell Foxers for the first two years, like not one. I mean, every department store was reaching us. We were launching in Dillard's into 08 Um, and then I, you know, we just, in 09 is when we felt it the middle of 09 and it was instant. It was the weirdest thing. And I had about, you know, over 2000 square foot office, over 2000 square foot pop-up store though, fortunately, because that was quick to, to get rid of, but you just had to wind down very fast. But 60% of our stores, I realized that couldn't buy, they just couldn't buy and they just disappeared. And we had over 200 stores around the U.S. And we fortunately weren't sitting with too much debt, you know, payables from boutiques. Um, we had a handful that I worked with for years and they're still with us. Um, so it was just like it just so we just I just got rid of the entire staff. The office went down to a 500 square foot office. I had just wow. me and a bookkeeper. I, I said, all I need is somebody to help me with the books and I'm going to do everything else. And then in 2010, I mean, this, this all went through middle of a nine. So I moved to downtown into a small office near my condo. And then in 2010, my husband's company lost a $70 million contract. And so they shut their division down. (sighs) So he was like, I need to find a new job, you know, but he wanted to work with me to Foxers to grow. But, you know, at the time in the middle of 10, you don't realize that if you put any money in, into a company in the worst recession, that it's really not going to go anywhere. So fortunately, we had to, didn't have a lot of money because we'd spent all our money at the beginning, the first two years growing and going into department stores and getting ready for the next department store. Um Fortunately, we didn't have a ton of money or I would have dumped a lot of marketing money in because so I'm glad. So that's a good lesson just because I didn't have it. But I would say really interesting because a a lot of people would think what you thought before that when you have the money in a recession, dump it into marketing and you didn't do that. So how did you regroup when it was really looking bad? Yeah. So what I did is I literally mentally, I I read a lot of positive things and now I don't have time to read many positive things, but (laughs) I, during that time, you know, everybody was probably reading inspiration. And one of the inspirational things I read one time was a man that said, you know, most everything says perseverance. So I just literally programmed my brain to say, if you just keep going, things get better. And I believed in my product and I knew I had a good product and I, 
I knew I could handle it because I did have the support of my husband. And, um, he said, okay, we're going to either go to New York or Atlanta. And we were thinking New York, cause it would be better for Foxers, but it ended up being so like, it just didn't work. So we went to Atlanta and it has worked tremendous. We instantly changed everything to be an Atlanta company. So I'll, we can talk about that later. But, um, what I did was I just had this mental attitude of I'm going to sit down and if I sell one pair of underwear a day, that's okay. And just get, and just make sure I pay all the creditors when I can. And I w- it was so strange. It would just be like a boutique would just auto automatic order, you know, every day or something like that. Something would happen where I would have the money every day. Really? And my, the people who work for me now say, there's just something that you, about you or what you do, but you, when you need money, it's always there for you. <laughs> it, it comes in the strangest ways. So we'll, we can talk about financing later. <laughs> well, I, and I know there's a couple of subjects that we would like to talk about. I know that our audience would be interested in is in the beginning, you had to learn ways to grow when you were ramping right. up in 07 and 08, when the orders right. were coming in so fast and furious, you were dealing with warehouses and distribution and people right. who would make your product. What kind of lessons did you learn in that period of time? Uh, and maybe you've learned it and, and refined it now in the most mm-hmm. recent years when you've had to, again, scale up. But w- what kind of advice would you give for those people who have a product who have to make a product and distribute it in a mass way? I'd say get a fulfillment house unless you have a good fulfillment partner in-house. Mm-hmm. So we had some a couple of really bad fulfillment partners. And once you get a good one, you can real you can you're scalable, you know, the economies of scale are just endless because if you have a good partner that has, you know, whatever, a hundred thousand to a million square feet of shipping and, and staffing, then you can go and market and be creative. You, the more that you can outsource, the better you Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, having, being hands-on, I thought I had to be right next to my warehouse. I haven't been next to my warehouse in six years. Um, my warehouse is now in Richmond, Virginia, and oh. I'm, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And it works. They're very good partners. They're ship fine, by the way. They, they're great partners. And they, I, can, I feel comfortable with a, um, whatever staff we have here of saying, yes, I can handle department stores. I have distributors in two um, regions outside of the U.S. And we never have a problem with shipping you know, and then a good manufacturer, you have to work on that relationship constantly. So even though there are people that I met when I lived in Malaysia, they've even split and had two different companies since then. So you just, every single day, I I look at it and I think about it. How's it working? How can I make it better? You mentioned uh, moving into Atlanta and sort of shifting your focus Mm -hmm. for Foxers to suit Atlanta or maybe having Atlanta suit Foxers. (laughs) Yeah. How did you do that? What, what did that, what did that mean for the uh, continuation of your brand? Well, um, when I was in Virginia, it was good startup because I had family and friends like you and everyone. And, um, I was able to, uh, you know, had a lot of moral support, a lot of good support. So that's good when you start 
But then when it gets to needing all the resources and needing the people who are building businesses fast. So like you might hear Austin, uh, Texas is supposed to be really great for entrepreneurs. I hear tons of people just move there just to start a business. So Atlanta is like that. So I knew New York versus Atlanta, either one. New York, I would probably be bigger than I am today. So if you're, because you're in fashion, it is the fashion capital of the United States. So that doesn't mean just fashion capital. All the resources are surrounding you. Right. The the money surrounding you, the people who want to grow fashion in fashion are around you. The employees are around you. Well, Atlanta is growing. They have We have a fantastic mark here. So regrouping here, um, it, we just felt so comfortable. Alex's company was, was really, he felt great at his company. And then um, I said, you know, let's just make it a Georgia company. Let's just do everything Georgia, and then we'll have Georgia supporting us. And as of last year, I took a six-month course with the SBDC here and the UGA and the commerce state of commerce, the commerce state with Georgia, and they're all behind us. Fantastic. Yeah. So we have this amazing support system here as of the last seven months. Okay. We're going to get to your relationships in a minute and how you've really focused on growing those. But I have to talk about your social media because I know after the recession uh, and really hitting rock bottom, you did come back. You came back after 2010. And uh, I know on your blog, you had said that you took some time to work on the branding and your website so that when the buyers did come back and they have, you'd be ready for it. But then you were surprised about social media and how important that has been for the growth of your company. So what did you have in place and how has it helped you uh, go viral? (laughs) Yes, that's great. Well, uh, what happened is, uh, so we have a website that's, that, um, handles wholesale and retail and we always have, and we got a lot of flack for that at the beginning years. Uh, boutiques first didn't like it and then Dillard's loved it. They didn't care. They were wonderful, but, uh, most of the department of stores do not care, but some of the boutiques were very funny about it. So if they, Hmm. if they didn't like me having a website, then I didn't sell in that boutique. You know, I, you can't rely on one industry, one retail chain or one, I'm sorry, distribution channel. You, you have to do what's best for the growth of your company. And, you know, so we had our website set up for wholesale and retail and we're always focused on the boutiques and department stores and the distributors. And we have a very good distributor, which we'll talk about in a little bit for Europe. And she was also a friend in Malaysia. And so I was busy working with her that year and all of a sudden we were at dinner and our site is just selling, selling, selling. We went from a few thousand dollars to like $30,000. Great. (laughs) What what is going on on the site? So Alex, he's so funny. Always makes me call the customers and I I don't want to do it. So he's like, call the customer, call the customer. So him and a friend went to look at something in the restaurant and I decided to call from the restaurant and there was this girl, Donna, and she said, oh, we saw on the hunt that a girl wanted it for a wedding. And then what, what really happened was I put up a Pinterest site and then and pinned Foxers on it and pinned other things on it. Cause, and Alex didn't know about the Pinterest and he's the software engineer and CIO of our company. And he's, uh, so he goes, what is this Pinterest? And I said, what happened was someone saw it on the hunt and then they pinned it on, they found it on our Pinterest page because someone said, Oh, 
these are on Pinterest. They're called Foxers. And so then they went from Hunt to Pinterest to my website. So I really owe a tremendous amount to Pinterest. I, one of these days, have to send them all some Foxers. <laughs> I keep looking them up and they're on my list in the in this quarter to get them all some boxers because <laughs> they really helped your business. <laughs> they truly did. And so we were early stage to Pinterest. So that's 2012. It was, it was the end of October when the first person put it on the hunt and then, the, then Pinterest. And we did $50,000 on the web from literally like maybe 2000 the month before. Wow. And then yeah. it grows from there as far and as... It, I knew, I knew right away. I said, Hmm, this can't last forever. Right. Cause other companies haven't, there weren't many companies on there. And then I filed to market on Pinterest after about six months. I was like, Oh, let me see. It says now you can, you can start advertising on Pinterest as a company. So you had to be chosen or, you know, approved. So I put in an application and it took about two months or so or a month. And they sent back, absolutely. You know, you can advertise and, um, so then that's where Alex comes in. He has to make the ads. So we, I knew that it wouldn't, that it would saturate and it would start to go down, but it took, it was great the whole year of 13. And it's still, now that we advertise on there, it's still a huge part of our marketing campaign. What is your social media marketing? What other places do you focus on? And, and as far as getting your name out there, what are the, some of the things that you do since it's such an interesting brand? It's a lifestyle brand and it, it's uh, fun and fashionable. And I mean, there's so many great words and images to describe it. So how do you get your name out there and what has worked? Uh, well, we started with Pinterest and our website and I had a blog, but I was terrible at it. <laughs> I would write. And then six months later, I would write. So uh, I was like, I'm going to do the blog tonight. I'm going to do the blog tonight. And my Alex was like, did you do the blog? Nope. Didn't do the blog. But anyway, and I had all these great stories and he wrote more of the blogs than I did. So if I, I would watch like Valentino, the, the I love watching other designers right. history, right? right? That really, I really learned from right. those. So I just did Christian Dior. It is amazing. Have to watch it. So I would put blogs about those. Um, but we started with Pinterest, the website and my blog wasn't so good. And then we went to Instagram and Instagram was kind of like, we were just putting up photos and then we realized that it was really doing a good job for us. We got one day, um, what we find is that it's a good place for stores and even people who want to maybe talk about us like media. We had a, um, I guess a, a radio show in New York that's millions and millions of viewers mm-hmm. who just started talking about boxers one day. So we have thousands of dollars of orders from that, you know? So you have those days where you're like, wow, this is a really blessed day. <laughs> so uh, what, and, but you kind of get up and you see that it's happening and you go, what is it? So then, you know, Facebook we've had for years now. We didn't really sell a lot on Facebook because Oh, we weren't really working the sales angle on there. It's just more for information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who does um, another brand, and she said we should do different things on on Facebook. So you just got to look at all of them. So now you have you know, now we have Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Yes. yes. So now my um, this is comes from Catherine Johnson, who is my right hand intern from Georgia State. <laughs> And she's writing our blogs. Very nice. So they get done, right? <laughs> yes. The blog is now on foxers.com and they're getting done. And she has a whole list of blogs to do. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of, we, we do all of them now. Um, Twitter, not so much, but you have to link them all together and, and, and you kind of can do, I think what Alex did is we go on Instagram, but it also plugs Facebook and Twitter and everything else. So connects everything that goes to foxwitch.com. Exactly. I, I want to go back to our discussion about relationships because I know they've been critical for the growth of your business. I mean, starting from that woman who helped you in Chicago to all of the people you've met in Malaysia who are now distributors. I mean, that's incredible yeah. that just yeah. chance meetings become business partners at some point. How, how do you know the who the right person is to do business with? How, how do you, when you meet them, realize that they are someone who would be of value and valuable to the business? Um, unfortunately, you don't. <laughs> and I think you, I'm a uh, typical Southern girl that loves everybody at first. And I'm worse because I give you like three chances <laughs> and I'm not a grudge holder. So then you can come back even later, but I have a couple that will never come back. You know how that is in business, but Cheryl, you're one of them. You're one of my great people that I met and yes. you know, you're wonderful from the beginning and you've been that way ever since and uh, done so much for Foxers too. Thank you. Um, but what happens is there's so many people and, and I've had experienced entrepreneurs tell me, don't let a lot of people, um, keep you busy all day. So, uh, eventually you just have to, you know, what you need pay attention to. So, okay. You need financing. So pay attention to those people who can probably bring you financing mm -hmm. and you go to, um, I've learned recently from someone else, uh, Patricia, uh, speaker that you go in a room and you know exactly two things that you need and you only focus on those, but you don't eliminate anyone either because, you know, like you may know, you know, the head of, of, of the bank might be your best friend. Mm -hmm. It might, my, as a matter of fact, our first banking relationship and still we have three amazing banking relationships and, um, they, they, they've been there and believe it or not, one of them's bank of America <laughs> as big as they are, but, uh, PayPal just surprised the mess out of me. I mean, they just showed up one, they called one day and said, you're one of our people that we watch, you know, we see that you don't do this and you do this and you have good customers and you don't get a lot of returns and you don't do this, you know, you don't get any kickbacks. We would like to help fund your company like through our PayPal system. And I thought he was joking. Well, within 30 minutes, they had $4,000 in my bank for a PO that I had coming. And wow. so before him was my sister's ballpark friend was the president of a Bayport uh, bank in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And they gave us our first line of credit and they are still dear, dear to us. We chat with them once a month. We send them foxers. Uh, one day I was at a party and he said, oh, you know, they can pull a line of credit anytime, this, this guy in our building. And I was, all of a sudden, I'm so nervous about my line of credit being pulled, you know. And so I called him and she goes, April, don't listen to anyone. You call me. She said, I know you're great and you're going to be great. And she said, we have 18 years on that line of credit. So you just keep on going. Right. You must be doing a good job. That's for sure. Yeah, that's what she said. She said, we watch everything you do and we're so impressed. And she said, don't let anyone tell you anything. Just call us if you have any questions. We're here for you. And so for between the three bankers, 
those are people that I didn't know were going to be, you know, there. So finding those relationships like the one in Europe, um, she was a friend and they kept, her husband had to come here for business a couple of times. And they, we lived in Malaysia with them the same time they did. And they are Austrian and they also live in Switzerland. And he kept saying, well, how can Karina's not working? How can she help work with Foxer? She wants to do something. She wants to maybe distribute. She wants to sell. She wants to do whatever. So we just kept talking about it. And then eventually she bought some product and started having home parties. And hmm. she went from home parties to, um, opening a store in Austria. And then she went from opening a store in Austria to opening a store in Switzerland. And then, um, I adjusted her pricing and she said, now you, I have good enough pricing that I can sell to other stores. So that's her third level now. So she went from parties in four countries to stores in two countries that are actual stores that rep sell Foxers and a few other things. And now she sells to other boutiques. So she's a, she's a about, She's about a quarter of the business, I guess, or something like that. That's phenomenal. Getting close to maybe 20%. Right. Maybe 20%. So now you're, and help, they, you're helping grow other entrepreneurs now through your one business. It's great. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then one other friend from Malaysia saw what she was doing. She was BJ and uh, Belinda and uh, Ben who were sitting there the first day of the the thong shouldn't be sticking out. And they're distributors for Australia and New Zealand. So, um, those are relationships we cultivated, but then I have the ones where I tried to use and they turned on me, which you had a story about that on your, on the news once, mm. you know, mm. they, they, you, you just, and to this day, I just, my heart aches sometimes when I think about the people that come in and steal product or, you know, like not, right. not actually walk out with a piece of product that, that doesn't bother me at all, but, uh, to actually steal an idea or, right to undermine why they say they're there to help you. So it's a shame. Have to, yeah, it is. <laughs> you look out for them, but you just keep moving and you can't focus on it. You can't, you, 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 you have, you deal with it. And then you say, you know what I always say? When I write my book, you're one chapter. <laughs> Maybe one of the <laughs> early chapters, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. You're going to wish you hadn't have done that to me. <laughs> April, what is ahead for Foxers? What's, what's a, uh, on the horizon for 2016. Oh my gosh, this year is insane. So uh, we are back at the trade shows. We'll be at Curve. We're in Curve Vegas next month. So we kind of pulled out of the trade shows for a while during the recession. And then we went into the Mart for, for two and a half years at, in a booth. And then I decided to get my own showroom. And so we have the own sh our own showroom. And then um, we're, we're a little bit far from the Mart to actually do a party for the buyers coming here in Atlanta. So we said, okay, let's go back to the big trade shows. Um, in in we like to do Vegas in the <laughs> when it's cold because we don't want to go to New York. We did we got snowed out one year and we'll never do it again. And then we go we're going to New York Curve um, in August. So going back to the two biggest trade shows of the year will um, help build the boutique um, chain again, the distribution channel for that. And we're over doubling the size of our office and building a wow. sample room. So that'll mean products faster to market. And we're in our second production in, in Georgia. So we're building um, a, a whole USA made Georgia line. Um, and we have a new e-commerce specialist that we just hired last week. So we're, he will be focusing on making sure 
all the things that we do are following all the rules and the photos are looking better. And we today um, upgraded to big commerce, which will help us sort by sizing, uh, by sizes and, and bring more customers to the website. So it's another jump. Um, we launched big commerce, which, which we absolutely love last January as our new site. And after a year, we're, we're upgrading it to the next level of site so that people can do other things and we'll also gain more customers from that. And then we hope to go back into one of two department stores that we're talking to. Yay. How exciting. How exciting. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you and uh, learn more about your company? Where can they go? Oh, okay. Well, always, if they forget, just go to Foxers and they can find us through there. Sales at Foxers comes to Alex and I, uh, um, Alex Emmerman being my co-founder, husband and partner. And then um, uh, they can just go april at foxers.com or you want a phone number? No, no, no. That's good. An email is good. And yeah. you're definitely your website, foxers.com is perfect. Yep. And is there a yep. showroom that people can visit if they're in Atlanta? Yes, that's going to be our new showroom. So please okay. don't come to the old one. It's so crowded. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we are moving and we're moving on the 28th of this month. And uh, we'll be in the Grant Park area, if anyone is familiar with that. And it's a big 2,500. We can actually do a second level to go as high as uh, 4,000 square feet. So we're going to have a permanent showroom, a permanent photo studio, a sample room, a models room, all of that. All the oh. things I wanted. I know. That's great. And room to grow, it sounds like. So before yeah. we sign off, I just want to ask one last question. April, what makes you a standout? Perseverance, I think. I think a will to succeed and a willing to be good customer service. That's my number one. Just make sure everybody has the best, uh, the best experience with boxers. And congratulations to your success. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, April. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I hope you've enjoyed April Spring's standout interview. I love her energy and her willingness to share what she has learned about business, the good and the bad. You can find more information about Foxers and its new Grant Park location in Atlanta at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast episode number four. If you'd like to be reminded when new standout episodes come out, sign up for my newsletter at CherylTanMedia.com. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Cheryl Tan.